So the big question is, how do women over 40 like us keep weight off, have great energy, balance our hormones and our moods, feel sexy and confident, and master midlife? If you're like most of us, you're not getting the answers you need and remain confused and pretty hopeless to ever feel like yourself again. As an OBGYN, I had to discover for myself the truth about what creates a rock-solid metabolism, lasting weight loss, and supercharged energy after 40 in order to lose 100 pounds and fix my fatigue. Now, I'm on a mission. This podcast is designed to share the natural tools you need for impactful results and to give you clarity on the answers to your midlife metabolism challenges. Join me for tangible natural strategies to crush the hormone imbalances you're facing and help you get unstuck from the sidelines of life. My name is Dr. Kieran Dunstan. Welcome to the Hormone Prescription Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Hormone Prescription with Dr. Kieran. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a special guest you're going to love. When I met her recently at one of our masterminds, I loved her immediately, and you will too. She is a wealth of knowledge and just so warm and relatable and has such a gentle way of making what I can kind of make really complicated pretty easy and simple to follow, which is a gift. So I'll tell you a little bit about her and then we'll get started. Jen Stevens is the author of the New York Times and USA Today bestseller, Fast, Feast, Repeat, and also Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle, an Amazon number one bestseller in the weight loss category, as well as Cleanish eat mostly clean, live mainly clean, and unlock your body's natural ability to self-clean. Another Amazon number one bestseller in several categories. Jen has lived the intermittent fasting lifestyle since 2014, losing over 80 pounds. She is the host of two top-ranked podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and The Life Lessons podcast with Sherry Bullock. And you can join her private community by going to jenstevens.com forward slash community. Welcome, Jen. Well, so nice to see you. Good to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. And we're doing a live podcast interview with Masterclass. So Some of the ladies from my midlife metabolism programs are here and they're going to get to listen and watch live and then ask questions later, which is a super fun benefit of being in my programs. So I think they'll really enjoy that. So how did you get started with intermittent fasting? It sounds like you were overweight. What was going on for you? Yeah, I was actually obese. And it's a yeah. hard word to say, right? I was 210 pounds at 5'5". Five five. And, you know, I have a long weight loss, sto- weight loss story, just like so many people do, that involves lots of years of yo-yoing, right? Probably most women and men even these days can relate to that. And I was always looking for a way to lose the weight and keep it off for good, but it never happened. You know, I, I thought about this recently and it just struck me you know, I've been at my goal now since 2015. I've been in the same goal range, wearing the same clothes. This is the first time I'm 53. I just turned 53. This is the only time in my life from birth that I have maintained a stable weight for a period of time. Because, you know, the first, you know, whatever it is, 18 years, you're growing. So I was growing. And then for the next years, I was yo-yoing. I mean, there was always a time when every year I was getting bigger than I was dieting, then I was gaining, then I was losing. And it just kept going. And like probably so many people listening, 
the yo-yos get get higher, right? You lose some, then you gain more, then you lose a little, then you gain more. And so that's pretty much what happened to me. You know, I did all the things starting from my first diet. Really, I was counting calories during college, like so many of us were. Mm-hmm. And my first like real diet diet, though, I think was the low fat era. When I graduated from college, it was the early 90s. So I started with the low, low fat, lost a lot of weight, looked awful, ate a lot of snack wells. <laughs> oh my gosh, I remember those. And also, do you remember SpaghettiOs had zero grams of fat? Zero grams of that. Living on SpaghettiOs and snack walls, which is certainly not what what they meant with eat low fat, right? But that's what I was doing. Probably most people too. But I just kept trying everything over the years, you know, and it got wackier and wackier from the HCG diet, lost a lot of weight, gained even more back. I took doctor prescribed diet pills. It was Mm -hmm. super easy to get those. They'll give them to you. You lose the weight as long as you keep taking them, right? But That was no good. But basically, I trashed my metabolism with all of those diets. Now, I first heard about intermittent fasting probably around 2009. You know, I was the person that would go to the Amazon weight loss category and look at all the books that were bestsellers and see what people were doing. And I would buy them. And actually, I would first read the comments, right? What everybody said on Amazon, looking for that next best diet. So it's no surprise that I stumbled upon intermittent fasting And I would dabble in it here and there from 09 to 14, but we didn't know anything about it back then. Mm -hmm. Everyone who was writing about intermittent fasting in the early days all said it works because you're eating fewer calories. So here are some ways to eat fewer calories through intermittent fasting. And there was like a five-hour window. That was Dr. Bart Herring's Fast 5 plan. There was alternate daily fasting you could do. You were having a down day followed by an up day. One day you did it, one day you didn't. And but every single plan talked about it's just calorie restriction in an eating window or every other day. So I would dabble in it. But, you know, I didn't understand so many things I know now. I didn't understand about insulin. I didn't understand about being metabolically flexible and what that means. And so I dabbled and my body never became adapted to fasting any of the times that I tried it because I didn't give it long enough. I also didn't understand about something I now call the clean fast, which we can talk about a little bit later. But basically, I lived in the hard part and it never got to be something that felt easy or good. So Mm -hmm. I just kept dieting and all those years still wasn't doing well until finally in 2014, I went on a family cruise and we were in the Caribbean for seven days. It was a wonderful trip. But I looked at the pictures of me with my family and like those formal night pictures on a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, who is that in the picture? I looked like myself, but like inflated, like someone had put a pump in my mouth and my whole body just felt inflated. And I remember on that trip, we did this wonderful excursion where we were hiking up the Mayan ruins and it was really hard to carry my body, which was 80 pounds heavier than it is today, up those Mayan ruins, up those steps. I was like, I just can't do this. And so I was just miserable the whole time. So I came back home and said, this is the time I've got to do something. Well, I turned to HCG one more time. (laughs) And of course, you know, I was like, I can't do this ever again. I can't do this ever again. So I quit that. And that summer, August of 2014, I found my way back to intermittent fasting for the last time, meaning that I stuck with it. There's the difference. I stuck with it and I never quit doing it. 
And so I wanted to lose 75 pounds. I lost those 75, went on to lose about five more. And I've been maintaining the loss since 2015, which is astonishing because like I said, I had never been the same weight season after season after season. So that's what's what's changed for me is maintenance has been, you know, pretty easy. My honesty pants get a little tight. I know what to do. Um, You know, I've now been through menopause. I went through that at 51 and, you know, my body just keeps feeling great. And intermittent fasting Mm -hmm. is not so secret. (laughs) Not so secret, secret. That sounds like a book. So I know everybody will dive into the details, but I know some people are thinking, really, Jen, you didn't exercise and work out at the gym like crazy. Really, Jen, you didn't, you know, this, that, or the other. None of that. And, you know, I really, I've never been someone who loved to do a lot of exercise. And interestingly enough, I had my DNA analyzed through 23andMe, ran it through a couple of different third-party websites that will tell you things about yourself. I was so not surprised when it came to exercise. My DNA report said, not likely to lose weight with exercise. (laughs) Some people get the opposite. Some people have a genetic profile where exercise is required for them to lose weight. But for me, I mean, I, I do exercise. Don't get me wrong. I'm now doing right. water aerobics. We just moved. I do water aerobics every single day that I can get to it. And I'm an active person. I'm not sedentary, but exercise has never been that. Like I never once started an exercise program and bam, the weight came off. It's always had to be something else. Right. Okay, great. So let's dive into it. You talked about when intermittent fasting first came out. There were different people with different plans and you kind of bopped around and tried different ones. Talk about what was the plan that you initially started with? Are you still with that? What are the details kind of, and then also maybe break down some lingo. I think hopefully most people have heard of intermittent fasting. So they know what your feeding window means, your fasting interval, things like that, but maybe they don't. So feel free to fill in the basics. I'm always doing the podcast as a listener and some people are going to be newbies and others are going to be experts. So I try to keep them all along for the ride. So feel free to detail us. All right. Well, the most common intermittent fasting approach is the daily eating window approach, which is formally known as time-restricted eating, which some people like a lot better because, you know, the word fasting is a little scary. You know, I didn't make this up. There's a saying that, that goes along with fasting and it's brilliant. And The saying goes like this, diets are easy in contemplation, but hard in execution, right? You know, we've all like Mm -hmm. thought about a new diet and, oh, this is going to be fabulous, but then we crash and burn because it's really hard to keep up a restrictive diet long-term. Well, fasting is completely opposite. Fasting is hard in contemplation, but it's easy in execution. It only sounds like it's going to be hard. You know, what was really hard was all the diets that I was doing when I was eating, you know, small meals all throughout the day. That was miserable, the low-calorie diets I did before. But with intermittent fasting, once your body adapts and you find what really works well for you and your body is metabolically flexible, mm-hmm. you get to figure out what your ideal eating window is, what time of day that works best for you. We're not all the same. You know, I have an evening eating window. Some of my foundations I mentioned earlier with Dr. Bert Hearing's Fast 5 approach, and he's 19.5. That's what he did himself. And that was one of the very earliest. I think that was the earliest 
book out about eating windows. He just kind of figured it out and he didn't start eating till five and he had a five hour eating window. So that's fast five. You start at five, you go for five. Now, of course, that's not exactly how I do it. I don't wait till five to open my window, but that's what worked for him. So his program was wait till five, then have a five hour eating window. He's like, or you can move it around however you want, which Mm -hmm. is really what I did. So a five hour eating window is a great eating window link for me. And I feel better when I open my window in the afternoon. Today, I opened 3.30 and I had like a little snack. And then I had dinner with my husband before we started talking today. We usually don't eat till around seven, but I ate a little earlier today just for Uh y'all. And and my window is closed. So I probably had a three-hour eating window today. And that's just how it worked because by the time we're done, I'm not going to want to eat again. And I've had enough. I'm not hungry anymore. But it's a very flexible way to live. But just this morning, you know, you mentioned I have a podcast called Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I interviewed, I think it was number 249 on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And she has a morning eating window. She opens her eating window at 730 in the morning. And she has a light breakfast. And then she has a really hearty lunch around one o'clock. Then she closes her window and that's it. And then she fasts till the next morning. So she has about a six hour eating window every day. And that works really well for her, but hers is in the morning. So, you know, if you hear people telling you, here's how you must do it. Here's how you must structure your day. Here's when Mm -hmm. the best time to have it is ignore all that. My mission in life is to teach people that you're very much a study of one when it comes to how long your eating window should be, how long your fast should be what you're eating in your eating window, all of that is going to be very individual for you. And I want people to feel mm-hmm. empowered to experiment and find what feels right to them. I have a chapter in my book, Fast, Feast, Repeat, and it's called Tweak It Till It's Easy. And I mean that. Mm-hmm. It's your role as someone who's trying something to tweak it until it feels easy, till it feels like a lifestyle. Because when you find what works best for you, it really does become an easy lifestyle. Yeah, I hear that from people. I've tried it and my biggest challenge, and maybe we can talk about this a little because I'm sure I'm not the only one, is with the exercise. I work out hard first thing in the morning. And what was happening is I was trying to open my feeding window in the afternoon and I was working out like a fiend in the morning. And I just started having, literally, I noticed my skin sagging and then someone said to me well you're probably losing collagen because you're not getting enough protein because you're working out like that I was like you know what that's true and so how do you navigate this with exercise well again that is you haven't found your sweet spot you that was obviously not your sweet spot and also I would like to ask when you were fasting were you fasting clean what were you having to drink during the fast Water. Okay, just water. Well, then that's good. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's important because a lot of people are not. So I wanted to throw that out there. But, you know, it sounds to me like perhaps with the amount of working out that you were doing, waiting till afternoon to open your eating window was not your sweet spot. And right. You got to tweak it till it's easy. But my challenge is, so I need to eat because I'm going to go work out, but I'm really not hungry until probably, the evening. So it's well, like... Well, so the issue was the skin sagging and that was it? No, I also didn't feel good. Okay, well, if you didn't feel good, then that's not a good sign. You want to feel good. Because the key is you want to feel good. But like for me, and I guess I'm doing water aerobics, that's not maybe as intense as what you're doing. But a lot of people in the fasting community are able to work out hard 
and then keep fasting for hours. How long were, did you try it? How long did you give it? Oh gosh, I'd have to look back, but it was for a few months. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, by then, you know, you would expect that you would be adapted by then. So it sounds yeah. like to me, perhaps your eating window wasn't best for you to wait till the late afternoon. Yeah. So I know that's one thing I struggled with. I've heard other people talking about it too. And then the other concern I know a lot of people have, maybe you can speak to this, is getting enough protein in, in a shorter eating window. Yeah, that's an interesting question. We do get that a lot. And Something to keep in mind is not all of our protein needs have to come from the foods that we're eating. Now, that might sound crazy, so let me explain. You've heard yes. autophagy before, right? Yeah. Autophagy yeah. is our body's, basically, it's our body's recycling and upcycling system. But I was an elementary teacher for 28 years, so I like to explain things in a simple way. It's, it's our body's upcycling program. So when you're in the fasted state, your body is looking around, well, nothing's coming in, let's see what's around. And so your body breaks down old proteins and recycles them and can use those old proteins to build new things. So when you're fasting clean, now if you're eating all day long, like breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, that actually downregulates autophagy. And downregulated autophagy, it gets worse and worse the older we get. And mm -hmm. so, you know, living in the modern world where we're eating all the time, most people are downregulated autophagy leads to a lot of the problems that come along with aging. But when we're fasting, especially when we're fasting clean, we have mm -hmm. increased autophagy. So autophagy is upregulated. We're better able to recycle those old junky proteins. So I'm able to build muscle. When I, when I just started doing my water aerobics in the past month or so, since we just moved to a new, a new place, new neighborhood, doing the water aerobic, mm -hmm. I am building muscle, working out in the fasted state every morning, just doing that water aerobics. And I haven't increased the amount of protein that I'm eating, but I mean, maybe I have without realizing it because I also am a big believer in the protein leverage hypothesis. Have you heard that before? No, talk about that. All right. Well, I can't remember who came up with the protein leverage hypothesis. Was it Professor Noakes? I'm not sure. Tim Noakes, maybe. But basically, it says that we have in our bodies, like we're a lot smarter than we give ourselves credit for. Our bodies let us know what they need. So if you're not getting enough protein, your body is going to crave more protein until you give it what it needs. And so, you know, if, if you were like you're eating and you're finding that you're unsatisfied, that might be your body saying, hey, we need more protein. It's not going to let you not get enough protein over time. And so, you know, when you think about what I said, autophagy, our body is recycling the protein. Plus, during your eating window, if you are hungry for protein, we just really might not need also as much as we've been led to believe. Dr. Jason Fung, I'm sure you're familiar with his work. He mm -hmm. has a great blog post about that. I think it's called how much protein is excessive or something. And mm -hmm. basically that people are always worried about not getting enough protein when really it's less of an issue than we realize. Okay, so is that something that you usually recommend that people track how many grams of protein yeah. they're getting? So yeah. it's more of an intuitive, let your body decide what it wants. Well, you know, really, like I said, our bodies are pretty smart. And I haven't noticed muscle loss. Like I said, I'm 53. I don't do anything harder than water aerobics. 
<laughs> with my little weights in the water. And I've not had trouble with muscle wasting. And I've been doing fasting for years now. And if it's going to happen. It would have happened, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely would have. But I know that's something Look, that I have large communities. And I left Facebook in early 2021. And we had almost half a million group members when I left. And one other thing about fasting is when, when you're fasting clean, we have upregulated human growth hormone. So when you have upregulated human growth hormone and you have a lot of autophagy going on and you're nourishing your body well during your eating window, you're absolutely going to be fine. You know, if you do notice that, oh gosh, you know, maybe I'm losing a little muscle, just add a little mm -hmm. protein, but you don't have to count it. It doesn't have to be that hard. We've got people doing all sorts of things in our community, building muscle like crazy, just eating intuitively with their bodies and not counting in a single macro. Yeah, let's dive into that because we're so, we come from that calorie counting culture, the macro culture and this many grams of this and this many grams of that. And people oftentimes will even say to me like, well, how many grams of protein, carbs, fats should I be getting and what types? And they want they want the rules and I'm pretty much an intuitive eater. So, but I will tell people if they ask, so what is your take on that? Well, I mean, how did people ever survive before we had, <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, like if you go back in time, you know, people were not like dropping dead from, if food was plentiful, any environment in the world where food was plentiful, people just knew what to eat and how much to eat. Right. They did not make it hard. If you go to like the blue zones now, you know, the, mm -hmm. you're familiar with the blue zones. There's yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Five pockets in the world. National Geographic has researched them where people live to be over 100. If you walked into some of those blue zones and said, let's talk about macros, <laughs> they would look at you like you're nuts. Those people are living to be over 100. They're not counting a single calorie. They're not counting a single macro. They're living long and healthy lives. And there's a lot of factors that go together to make that happen, but they're eating real foods like their ancestors did mm -hmm. and they're not counting a thing. Right. And so that's how you usually teach and work with people is just intuitively. But there are some people who would try that and they would go for the Haagen-Dazs and the Ben and Jerry's and, you know, all the things. Here's the beautiful thing about intermittent fasting. There's something we call appetite correction, and Dr. Bert Herring came up with that phrase as well, but it's just a beautiful mm -hmm. phrase, and it means that your body will direct you to what you need as far as how much food you need and also what. You know, most of us find when we're intermittent fasters, you, you know, people may start off eating the standard American diet, but over time, your tastes change. Yes. It's the weirdest thing. You actually tune back into your hunger and satiety signals. Our bodies do not count calories. Our bodies count nutrients. So when you are intuitive and you are not just cramming every emotion down all day long with food, like I'm going to say I used to do when I was obese. I was eating from morning till night because, of course, that was also what we were told to do. We were told to eat breakfast within 30 minutes of your feet hitting the floor and have frequent snacks because that would boost your metabolism. That's what we were all told. And how come I was 210 pounds, right? I was doing all the things. And so I could not hear any signals from my body at that point. But now that I'm an intermittent faster, like, oh, the Brussels sprouts look good. And so you may start off 
eating the standard American diet, but over time, it's amazing how your body directs you to, like the first time you eat something that used to be your favorite thing. Like I can remember the first time I had a, a Starbucks pumpkin spice latte after I'd lost the weight and been maintaining for a while. And that had always been my favorite, you know, when it was latte season and my window was open one day, I was at Target, there was a Starbucks in there. I'm like, I'm going to have a pumpkin spice latte. My window is open. It's going to be delicious. <laughs> And I tasted it and I'm like, why does it taste like bug spray? This tastes awful. And I'm like, they have changed the recipe of, no, they didn't change the recipe. <laughs> My taste buds changed. The more real food you eat, the more you're fasting and living that lifestyle, your body just, it really changes in a way you just couldn't expect. Yeah, you know, for me, it was Cinnabons when I weighed 243. I would eat Cinnabon. And those are know? not even good, are they? I had one in an airport in like maybe 2018 because, you know, it smelled so good. I was with my sister. We were flying back. It tasted like like poison. Yes, like poison. It tastes like chemicals. Chemicals, exactly. Right. So I love the, the intuitive. And I noticed for me, if I'm not stressed, I will intuitively eat very healthy things. And it's only when the stress comes that yeah. I want sugar. They're looking for soothing, right? <laughs> right. All right. So we've talked about that. No macros. I loved what you said. That's a quotable. Our bodies do not count calories, counts nutrients. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of, you know, you hear so many things. Are you also recommending a flexible kind of intuitive window that changes all the time based on how you feel? Or do you find that people do better when they set it? and stick to it. And that depends on the person. That's okay. going to be very individual. There are some people that need more structure just because if it's too loosey-goosey, then the next minute they're not fasting anymore, right? right. <laughs> like it's so flexible, they forgot to do it. So in Fast Feast Repeat, I have something called the 28-Day Fast Start. And that is a period of time where people are, are learning how to do it. Your body is developing the skills that it needs behind the scenes to flip that metabolic switch to fat burning and so that you're metabolically flexible. And so it is very much more like here's how you're going to do it day to day as your body is adapting. But then after those 28 days, that's where the tweak it till it's easy part comes in and you start to figure out what works for you. And there's a lot to be said for mixing things up from day to day. You know, like one day, if you have a one hour eating window because you were super busy and crazy that day, but that doesn't mean you need to do that tomorrow. Tomorrow, you're probably gonna need a little bit longer. So mm -hmm. we don't wanna be too rigid and over restricting for our bodies. So it's really like for me, I would just stick to, you know, as long as I have like a five hour eating window, pretty much from day to day, I could move it around when I was losing weight. That really worked well for me. Other people find they might need an eight hour eating window. Maybe five hours is too restrictive, but someone else might find they need a four hour eating window because they tend to overeat if they eat for five. It just really is all about learning about yourself and responding to how it's going. I love that. That's something that I talk about all the time. I call your body, she, you know, talk to her, what she's gonna tell you what she needs, but we are so socialized out of listening internally and we're so externally directed. So it really is this reacquaintance and it sounds like you're really teaching that too. Yes. Like your body knows what it needs and what it doesn't need. And if so, it doesn't feel good, it's telling you for a reason. There's something that is not feeling good. Like what you were doing before, your body told you that was not working. That was not your fasting I, protocol for whatever reason. 
you hadn't found it yet. No, and I haven't, I haven't tried it. Person. No, see, that's a thing. I'm not hungry till the afternoon, but I like to work out. So I haven't figured out how to fix that. So I just stopped doing it. I'm like, this is not working. I don't feel good. I'm not doing it. I guess it might be hard for you to work out later in the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's a morning thing. So well, I'll figure it out. I'm wondering, you have this great podcast where people talk about their stories with intermittent fasting. Could you share some of your favorite stories from people you've had on the podcast? You know, one of the most fun that I've had that I enjoyed so very much, I talked to a guest and she had been on Extreme Weight Loss, that Extreme Makeover Weight Loss Edition. Jackie Arena is her name. And she's been in my community from way back when we were on Facebook. She's been in my group. Now she's in my off Facebook private community. And she told her story. She lost over 200 pounds Mm -hmm. in a year of doing Extreme Makeover Weight Loss Edition. And she talked about, and it was fascinating to talk to her because when I wrote Fast Feast Repeat, I talked about weight loss and all that. And are you familiar with the Minnesota starvation experiments that they do? No, what's that? Well, in the Minnesota starvation experiments, basically trying to figure out, you know, how much food do people need to live? (laughs) What happens if we really restrict how much that people are eating? So they had these conscientious objectors who weren't fighting in World War II. And they're like, we'll use y'all. And so they put them on this, like, I think a college campus in Minnesota, and they studied them. And what these were men, and they put them on 1500 or something calories a day, which Mm -hmm. we probably are like, that's just what you do. You eat 1500 calories a day, but they studied them on this, what they called that a starvation diet. And so it was fascinating. I, I write about this in the introduction to Fast, Feast, Repeat, but it talked about all the things they went through. Like they started to become obsessed with food. They started to have feelings of wanting to binge and all these things that were happening to their bodies as they were restricting, restricting, restricting. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to Jackie, I mean, it was like textbooks with the experiences that she went through going through that extreme weight loss. Cause it was basically just eat less and less and less and less. As you continue to lose that much weight, you have to just eat less and even more, less, more restriction, less and less and more and more working out. We've all seen those shows And so by the end of it, I mean, she had tanked her hormones. She was no longer having cycles. She had textbook, obviously the Minnesota starvation experiment was men, but everything that they went through as far as like on that that starvation regimen, she was going through. And it took her years to get her hormones back in a good place. And so, I mean, that just lets you know how dangerous diet culture is. But she, after that, you know, she regained weight, obviously, because your body is fighting back. Mm-hmm. Whenever you have, you know, they also did the biggest loser studies. Did you? Right. I saw that one. Not, that was so similar impressive. kind of a thing. They yeah. restricted so much that everything's their metabolism slowed down. And then, of course, as soon as they couldn't keep up that level, bam, here came the bam. weight back. And then their metabolisms were slower than when they had started. Right. So. It was just fascinating to talk to her. And then she found intermittent fasting and how that has been completely different and how she has finally been able to lose the weight through intermittent fasting and found peace Mm -hmm. around food that that she didn't have before. And it was just so interesting to hear the Mm -hmm. all the theory, basically, she lived it. All the, the bad diet theory <laughs> followed. She's a living that. example. She's a living example of every single theory that I talk about in Fast Feast Repeat of like, here's what they found. Here's what the research says. 
she's lived it and all of her experiences really show it. So I loved that episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've talked, like I said, 249 today, and most of them are just normal people. One that I really loved was Dr. Mark Matson. Are you familiar with his work? No, I haven't heard of him. You may have heard of his work and not known it. Do you remember in the end of 2019 when there was that big New England Journal of Medicine article about fasting? It came out on like December 26th of 2019 and suddenly mm -hmm. intermittent fasting was all over the news. Yes. People were talking about how healthy it was. Well, Dr. Mark Matson was the author of that New England Journal of Medicine article. And it turns out he wrote it because a lot of doctors were having patients starting to come into their practice and saying, I'm doing intermittent fasting, but the doctors didn't really know a lot about it. So they were like, we need to know more about this. And so the New England Journal of Medicine reached out to Dr. Matson and asked him to write that review article. So it's a review article. So it covers all the science, all the, the best mm -hmm. information that's out there. And it was really amazing when that came out in 2019, because I was running these Facebook groups. And when people would join, we're like, why do you want to join? And people always said, I want to lose weight. I want to lose weight. But all of a sudden, people started saying, I want to get healthy. I want to live longer. I want to prevent Alzheimer's. Because suddenly the conversation was shifted and people realized intermittent fasting is a very healthy way to live. And I really credit Mark Matson for that. But he came on my podcast on intermittent fasting stories and talked about his story. And, you know, he worked at Johns Hopkins for his whole research career. Mm -hmm. And he actually started doing intermittent fasting in the 80s wow. as a grad student or something. It just how he, he naturally gravitated towards. But he studied fasting and the effects on the brain. He's a neurological researcher and, you know, the anti-Alzheimer's properties and all the things like that and how it helps our neurological health in so many ways. But it was really fascinating to talk to him. And then everything in between, just, you know, normal people who are fasting. I've talked to doctors who lived a lifestyle. I've talked to the mom next door, the dad next door. And I love talking to everybody because in 249 stories, everyone has something new to bring to the table to talk about how intermittent fasting has changed their life. I love that. You mentioned something earlier about the starvation experiment, which I didn't know about. That sounds horrible. What is the difference with calorie restriction where you're eating all the time and the food obsession and the wanting to binge versus having a shortened eating window? That is a great question. And I love that you asked it. Okay, so let's talk about how our bodies get fueled. Most people, especially now, if you look around, most people are carrying a whole lot of energy around in their bodies, right? <laughs> a lot of energy equals You're carrying a lot of calories or like, like a calorie suit, right? People are wearing a calorie suit. And those calories, if you can access them, the calories you have in stored fat, they provide great fuel for your body. And the key is you want to be able to tap into those fat stores and use that energy. Well, that's where low-calorie diets, where you're eating all day long, that's where it breaks down. We're not meant to eat tiny little amounts of food all day long, like a little drip, drip, drip of a feeding tube or something. We're not meant to do that. And it has to do with the hormone insulin. Insulin mm -hmm. is our storage hormone. And when insulin is high, and when insulin levels are high, like if someone has insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, Basically, you have high fasted levels of insulin. Your insulin's high all the time. Insulin is anti-lipolytic, meaning it locks down your fat stores. So when you have high levels of insulin all the time, 
you'd have a really hard time accessing your stored fat and burning it for fuel. We have all experienced that when you're doing the low calorie diet and you're having your tiny little breakfast and you're drinking your diet soda and then you're having a <laughs> little snack. You are keeping your insulin high all the time. And I'll talk in a minute about why diet sodas do that and why they're not part of the clean fast because they cause an insulin response. But in the meantime, your insulin is up, up, up all the time. You cannot tap into your fat stores very well. It's like they're locked away, right? So you are not well fueled. You're having a low calorie diet, but because insulin is high, that the low calorie diet isn't fueling you and you can't get to your fat stores. So now your body has to downregulate your metabolism. It's in a panic. Well, now how fasting <laughs> is different. Yeah. Once you're metabolically flexible and you're fasting and you're keeping your insulin levels low during the fast, suddenly your body can now see all that fat too. And your body can start using the fat for fuel. And so just as I talked about, you're meeting some of your protein needs through autophagy, you're meeting some of your fuel needs through the fat that your body is burning. So we actually have one study that was really interesting. They followed people over a 72-hour fast. Now, I'm not recommending people start fasting for 72 hours. I eat every day. But when they were studying the people over these 72 hours, they looked at what their metabolic rate was doing. And everyone had like a baseline metabolic rate when they started. And then as time went on, their metabolic rate actually went up over the course of this fast. It was a 72-hour fast, like I said. And then it reached a peak at a certain point, And then it started to trim slowly down again. And so by the time they got to the 72, the end of the 72 hours, their metabolic rate was actually higher than it had been at baseline, but trending downward. So, you know, what does that tell us? That tells us that fasting, when we start tapping into those fat stores, our bodies get going and they can actually ramp up that metabolic rate. But it also tells us that we don't want to just keep fasting forever and ever. Because if you follow that trajectory down, I mean, eventually it would have gone below baseline. So that's why extended fasting for days and days at a time, that is going to affect your metabolic rate over time. So you want to find the balance between fasting and feasting. And that's really important because you can overfast, and that's not a good thing. Yes, that's a great explanation. Thank you for explaining that. And I think some people might not know what metabolic flexibility is. I mean, you've kind of described it, but can you talk a little bit more about that? It's really how we're, we're designed to be. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are designed to be able to use whatever fuel source is available at the time. We have the ability to store fat for when we need it. Our body can take that stored fat and our livers can turn fat into ketones, which fuels our brain beautifully. And we have plenty of energy to do what we need when there's when there's not food around. But when food is available, we can flip that switch and we're you know, using that food for fuel. So what happens when there's no food for fuel? Your body flips the switch back to using your fat stores. So we're meant to be metabolically flexible and have the ability to switch from one source to the other. And we lose that metabolic flexibility in today's modern world with the eating all the time. Nobody ever has to flip that switch to fat burning. And that is why, you know, I talked about the 28 day fast start when people have to let their bodies adapt. That's mm -hmm. why, because when you first start your body, it doesn't want to do that. And you also may not even have those fat burning enzymes built up. Your body just really cannot do it yet. And you also have to get your insulin down over the, over time. But 
at first you, you're going to be hangry. You're going to be tired. Your body's like, come on, where's the latte that I'm used to having at 10 a.m.? <laughs> where's the breakfast burrito from the drive-thru or whatever it is? And eventually though, your body's like, all right, fine, fine. I'll go tap into the fat store. Then it flips that switch and there you go. Yeah, it's kind of like you have to be your body's parent and like, nope, you're not getting that. Nope, you're not getting that. Exactly. You know, the kids are like, can we have a cookie? Can we have a cookie? And we're going to no, (laughs) dinner's coming. Then they devour the Brussels sprouts because they didn't get the cookie. So your body wants the cookie. And if you don't give it the cookie, it'll eat your fat. (laughs) Go eat fat, fat, right? Right. So there's so much to talk about with this. I definitely want to recommend that people get your books, read your books, join your community. I just love the titles that you have. They're so descriptive and clear. And I think that makes it very accessible to pretty much everyone. And I love that. And you're so real and it's just great. So We'll have links to the books in the show notes. We'll also put a link to your community so that people can go there. And actually, we'll grab links to your podcasts too and put those in there so everybody can listen. Thank you for staying up late to meet with us. (laughs) (laughs) It's not really that late. I just don't usually do things where I have to be active after dinner. Because I had dinner. or Usually after dinner, I'm in wind down mode. <laughs> got it. Got it. Well, we will get you there soon. We'll have a few okay. questions and answers. Any last things that you want to share with everyone before we well, wrap up? Well, I didn't talk about the clean fast, which is super duper important. Okay, what go ahead. Have during the fast. And a lot of people have tried intermittent fasting. And for whatever reason, they were not successful. And when I talk to people who are like, oh, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work for me. There are usually two things that come up time and again. One, they didn't give it long enough. And mm-hmm. two, they were not fasting clean. So let's talk about what it means to fast clean. You know, okay. I just talked about how we want to keep insulin down. That's so important so we can tap into our fat stores. Well, what causes us to have an insulin response? Eating, obviously. We're not eating. We're fasting. But also, it turns out the taste of sweetness. If our brain thinks food is coming in, even right. if it's a diet Coke, our brain doesn't understand. The cephalic phase insulin response is when you taste something like that diet soda, your brain says, we know what sweetness means. It means that sugar is coming in because in nature, everything that is paired with sweetness is like, you know, sugary or fruit or honey or whatever. And so your pancreas goes ahead and pumps out some insulin because it knows you're going to have high blood sugar soon. But then again, you're having this diet soda because it has zero calories no sugar comes in, but you still have high insulin. And so you want to keep your insulin down so your body can tap into your fat stores. So avoid anything that's sweet. You see all these miracle sweeteners. They're like, this one doesn't raise your insulin. This one doesn't. Your brain doesn't know the difference. It doesn't right. monk fruit. It's like, no, it just tastes sweetness. And so you want to avoid anything sweet. Don't put anything in your coffee to add sweetness or your tea. Don't add anything like that. But And you want to avoid things like lemon, apple cider vinegar, anything that might have a, a food-like taste. Avoid those things. Cinnamon, all that. Avoid all that. The second goal is we want to have, we want to be tapping into our fat stores for fuel. So you don't want to take in sources of fat during the fast. Don't put the butter in your coffee, the cream in your coffee. Don't put anything in your coffee. <laughs> 
other than the coffee. Don't take exogenous ketones because if you're taking in another source of fuel, your body's going to use that. It's not going to tap into your fat stores. We don't just want to have ketones. We want to make them from our stored fat. Yeah, if you're putting MCT oil in your coffee, your body's going to take that MCT oil and turn it into ketones. But you want to get your ketones from your own body fat, not from something you're putting in your coffee cup. And so the third thing we want to do, our third fasting goal is we want to have that increased autophagy. And to do that, we don't want to take in any sources of protein because protein halts autophagy. So don't have bone broth or anything like that. You know, and if you start you know, listening to people here and there, there's all sorts of really bad recommendations like, oh, 50 calories doesn't break a fast. That is not true. <laughs> like in that case, you could literally just like eat a jelly bean every five minutes. And <laughs> fasting, and that is not fasting. And you know, some people are like, well, what about a little splash of cream? Because this fasting expert over here says it's okay to put in a little splash of cream. Well, what is cream? Well, it's dairy. It's yeah. Dairy is nature's perfect food for growing a mammal baby at the time of their life where they're growing the most rapidly. Does that sound like fasting? No, No. I'm not anti-dairy. Keep it in your eating window if if dairy works (laughs) for you. But dairy is in no way, shape, or form fasting. Neither is almond milk. None of that. That's not fasting. (laughs) Yeah. So stick to the clean fast, plain water, plain sparkling water, no flavors added. Don't add anything in there for flavor. It's not supposed to be a flavor adventure. We're taking a break from that. You can have all the flavor adventure you want in your eating window. You can have black coffee, plain tea. Now, why can we have the black coffee and the plain tea? Well, those have a bitter flavor profile, and that is not associated with the cephalic phase insulin response. That is very important. Thank you for explaining that. And you know what I realized we didn't talk about, which we got to hit on this, is like you said, when the New England Journal article came out in 2019, people shifted from it wasn't about weight loss. They wanted to be healthy. And you just hit on the highlights of all the diseases that intermittent fasting is no. proven to help. <laughs> I cannot, because the list would be so long. I know. Like, you know, as a medical professional yourself, anything that's connected with insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, inflammation. I mean, that's like the root of like everything, everything. right? Insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, inflammation. Those are the things that intermittent fasting helps with. So Anything that would be, if you go downstream from whatever medical condition and the downstream <laughs> problem, all of them. if you ever read Bickman's book, um, Why We Get Sick? I have not. No. You got to read that next. Get that book. Okay. If you will, if you haven't read Fast Feast Repeat, read that. But then you need to read <laughs> ben, Dr. Benjamin Bickman's Why We Get Sick. And it basically makes a case that he's like the premier insulin resistant expert in the world. Mm-hmm. I think. And it basically talks about how insulin resistance how it caught and he walks you through it. You know, how does it affect us in menopause? How does it affect health? How does it, and it's really the root of everything. So getting your insulin and under control is just so important. It it will, I mean, you know, type two diabetes. I mean, I've had people say crazy things on the podcast that have been helped by, you know, I mean, simple things. Yes. But people have had crazy results that you wouldn't even expect. I talked to somebody last week, she was wheelchair bound due to she had some autoimmune type things that were going on and intermittent fasting she's not been in a wheelchair i mean she's now like gained her mobility back and i mean it's like 
you would never write all this in a book because it sounds like too far fetched. But when people tell you their own story, you know that it's true. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I always say that insulin is that loose thread on the knotted ball of yarn of all your hormones and you got to get it right. And I'm a big believer in there are two prescriptions we need as women, as we age, we need a written one for natural hormones and we need this kind of life prescription. So thank you very much, Jen Stevens, for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom with all of us. Well, I love doing it. (laughs) And thank you all for joining us for another episode of the Hormone Prescription Podcast. Hopefully you've heard something today that has sparked your interest and maybe you're willing to take the plunge and try it. Start with one of Jen's books, Fast, Feast, Repeat, or Delay, Don't Deny. Join one of her communities. Try out her 28-day program. Do something. Don't just listen and say, oh, yeah, that's great. I'll think about it later. I want you to take action. So I want to hear about it on social media, jump on Instagram, Facebook, and let me know what you're trying and how it's working for you. And I will see you next week. Thanks so much for spending this time with us. Until then, peace, love, and hormones, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. I know that incredible vitality occurs for women over 40 when we learn to speak hormone and balance these vital regulators to create the health and the life that we deserve. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you'd give me a review and subscribe. It really does help this podcast out so much. You can visit thehormoneprescription.com where we have some free gifts for you. And you can sign up to have a hormone evaluation with me on the podcast to gain clarity into your personal situation. Until next time, remember, take small steps each day to balance your hormones and watch the wonderful changes in your health that begin to unfold for you. Talk to you soon.